bless you. Thank you, man. Let's take our Bibles. Revelation chapter number three. Man, it's been good to be in the house of God today. I love it. Psalm chapter 122, verse one. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, Brother Jeff leaned over to me and I, I, I was leaning over to him to kind of say the same thing. I said, we're, we're not waiting for a revival. We're in the middle of it right now. When God's people began to, you see, when the Lord, revival really is God showing up. But the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that he inhabits the praises of his children. I tell you, you want the Lord to show up in your life, you just start bragging on Jesus. Amen. And he'll show up every single time. I, how many times did David in the Psalms where he said, man, refuge failed me. And he said, I looked on my right hand and, and there was nobody there. I looked on my left hand, there was nobody there. And he said, refuge has failed me and no man cared for my soul. But you read those chapters where he begins to praise God again. And I love how Psalms ends. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And I'm glad, boy, I feel, so, man, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I sense his presence here tonight. And I want to mind the Lord, Revelation chapter number three, and we won't belabor anything here tonight, but this morning we looked at the elements, we began the elements of a Holy Spirit-led revival in our lives. And I'll tell you, you do some of that testifying, I'm a, that's revival right there, and we'll get to that. But the scripture told us in the Bible, when we looked at this morning, that we need the first of all, we said we have to have an honesty about us. And our condition, I appreciate the brother tonight and the sister that said, we need you to pray for us. And that's somebody, and I'll tell you, I, it's not the ones who say, I need some prayer that bother me. It's the ones who don't think they need prayer. Those are the ones that bother me. It's not the ones who say, church, I need you. I'm struggling a little bit. It's the ones that want to put on the airs that we, we've got everything together because we don't have everything together. None of us do, including the one that's here preaching tonight. I don't have it all together. I need the Lord, and I need him 10,000 times more than he needs me. And I'm so grateful, but we've got to get honest tonight. And then we looked at number two. We said there's got to be a hunger for the things of God. I think it's evident by the moving of the Lord here tonight that there's some folks that came here hungry and wanting the Lord to do a work in their heart and lives. But there's some other things in this story here tonight. If you'll take a look with me, and by the way, hungry, I believe we had a hunger, and preacher mentioned it this morning, we had a hunger for the Bible. I think we also had a hunger for the preaching of the word of God. And the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. And I appreciate music. Obviously, I appreciate music. I've given my life to producing good music. But I'm going to tell you, and I appreciate testifying, but there is nothing else like the preaching of the word of God. God majors on preaching. He said, if we want people to get saved, he said, it is the preaching of the cross is what will see people get saved by the grace of God. God puts a strong premium on preaching, and we ought to hunger for it, and we ought to hunger also for spirit fullness in our lives. We ought to hunger for God to use us and his spirit to fill us and empty us of ourselves, and, and that's why I like testimony time, because it, it empties you of all that pride, and sometimes it is. It, it takes a little bit of, a, a little bit of uh, uh, humbleness and humility to stand up and just to testify of what the Lord's doing in your heart, because it embarrasses our flesh. But I'm going to tell you, I told our people at our church for years and the young people uh, that I've been able to influence in my life, it is, I believe it's not until we embarrass our flesh that we can really begin to walk in the spirit of God. Because the flesh says don't testify, the flesh says don't sing, the flesh says don't stand out or stand up. But I'm going to tell you, if we're ever going to be filled with the spirit of God, if we're ever going to hunger for the things of God, it's going to take us getting hungry to be spirit filled. Yeah. Yes. We ought to hunger for that and I believe we ought to hunger for serve God. I appreciate that brother 
praying about the Lord using him. And let me tell you this, as long as you have breath in your body, brother, he wants to use you. I guarantee you this, when God's done with you, you'll be the first one to know. Because you'll be eyeball to eyeball with the king of the universe. You will be the one to know that he's done with you. And boy, and I know sometimes we all get in that way. We all get to the point where we think, man, I've done it. I've, I've blown it for the last time. And man, aren't you glad God's the God of not only the second chance, but he's a hundred thousand chance. Amen. And I get to serve him. That makes me hunger more to want to serve him. Amen. But I believe number three, if you'll look with me in verse number, nine, verse number 18. And he said, he said, I counsel thee to buy me of gold. And it's getting serious, by the way. And that's why we mentioned hunger, because it's getting serious desire when you're buying gold. That's serious business. The Bible says that thou mayest be rich. And then he said this, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. I believe not only ought we have to have a humility, a humbleness about us and an honesty about us, but I believe also we ought to have a hunger about us. But not only that, but I believe a key to the revival that we want to see here this week, there has to be a desire for holiness among us. See, God never has used a dirty vessel until he has cleansed us. You see, David in the book of Psalms, he, he was in Psalm chapter 51, he was getting right with the Lord. And from that time, he was backslidden. And for 18 months, he hid his sin. And for 18 months, he was not honest. And for 18 months, he was living in unholiness and unrepented and unforgiven sin in his life. And it wasn't until the man of God, Nathan, stood up and said, David, thou art the man. You better get it right. God's going to reject you like he did Saul from being king. You know, the major differences between Saul and David was David, when he was confronted with his sin, he got right. And Saul got excuses. They were both men who fell short. They were both men who committed sin. They were both men who had struggles in their lives with power and those underneath them. But one said, when he got confronted with his sin, he said, oh, he said, I have sinned. I have transgressed against the Lord. He said, I was shaped in iniquity and sinned and my mother conceived me. He said, from my birth, I was a sinner. But then he said, purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. He said, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And he said, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. And then he went on to say, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What was he saying? He said, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. What was he saying? God demands holiness. God demands. Holiness is the attribute of God whereby he rejects sin and filthiness and he demands holiness on our part. And it seems in this day and age, we have taught a generation of young people and a generation of Christians, and I don't know if it's very popular up here, but it's very popular in the States about this, this idea of a radical grace. This idea that I'm saved so I can do whatever I want to do. This idea that, well, the presence of God is going to be in me and around me no matter what I do. I'm saved. It's under the blood. So therefore, I can live how I want to live. Well, let me tell you, that is very different from biblical Christianity. Yes. It is very different from the word of God. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the Bible exhorts us. The Bible says we ought to live soberly and godly in this present world. Paul said this. He said, we labor that whether absent or present, that we may be accepted of him. 
God is demanding us, if we're going to see a revival, it's going to take, it's going to take God coming into our lives and shaking some things up and shaking some things off of us. And if we want to be used by God, we have got to let him cleanse us. As David said, he's got to purge us with hyssop that we may be clean and washed, that we may be whiter than snow. And let me tell you, there may be some things that the Lord put his finger on even tonight during that testimony time. And I believe I've been in testimony services where somebody was testifying and God was convicting me over what they said. Can I tell you, if you're being convicted by the spirit of God, that ought to encourage you tonight, not discourage you. Because the Bible says, to whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son whom he receiveth. And it said, if you receive not the chastening of the Lord, then are you bastards and not sons. It ought, to, it ought to bring a comfort to us when the Holy Spirit of God pricks our heart about something that's unholy in our lives. And I'm going to tell you, I've been to that place, and man, there were times when the preacher was preaching, and the preacher could have been preaching on tithing, and God was convicting me about my unholiness. He could have been preaching on heaven and comfort and, 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 and trying to get a sermon that's going to lift us up. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, God was convicting me. Why? Because if we're ever going to see revival, he says, you've got to get a white garment on. We've got to purify ourselves unto the Lord. Amen. We're sinners. But guess what? God, God believes in sanctification of sinners. Sure, we're sin- I believe this as a Christian. I believe every Christian has sin in their life, but sin doesn't have to have you. You hear me tonight? Every one of us has sin in our lives, but we should not be dominated by sin. The Bible says, there's now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That holy life, that, that spirit-filled life is a life of holiness. You know what the Bible says? We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And his son is holy. One of his, one of his, one of his awesome names is the Holy One of Israel. He's so holy that he has angels crying one into another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. He is holy. He's so holy that when the Mazarites would write down the names of God, they would many times they would wash themselves and clean themselves. And before they would write what we know as Jehovah God or Yahweh God, they would cleanse themselves. And many times they would change pens or and they would cleanse their hands and their feet and they, a lot of times clean their face. And, and they would they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to uh, take his name in vain, even by spelling the name Jehovah all the way out, because they believed in a holy God. And whenever mankind would come into the presence of this holy God, something would happen. When Moses came into his presence, God said, you better take your shoes off. I believe that was symbolizing us walking an earthly life and walking in the muck and the mire and the dirt of this world gets on us. And God said, uh-uh, if you're going to come into my presence and be revived, you're going to have to take those shoes off, Moses. When Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the train and he, and he saw those angels around there, the ones that we sang about, the one between the angels' wings. And the Bible said that the, the first thing that he said is, woe is me for I am undone. And I'm going to tell you, if you, if you experience revival in your life, you're going to experience one of those moments where you get into his presence and say, I am so unclean and I am so dirty and I am so filthy and I am so unworthy. It's like when you men get those white shirts again, 
If you've had white shirts for a while, you understand this. When you begin to wash them, they begin to turn a different color. And you don't realize how much they've changed until you put them against another white shirt that's new. And all of a sudden, you realize how far we come. And I think sometimes we as Christians, because we don't get into the presence of God regularly, because many times we're not reading the scripture regularly and have a prayer time and a walk with God regularly, we don't realize how filthy we've become. We don't realize what we've gotten marred and, and mucked up by the world and we've been unclean by the world and we don't even realize how far we've come. But can I tell you, you just get into his presence a little bit, you're going to realize, man, I got to take these shoes off. Man, I can't wear that in his presence. Man, I can't talk that way in his presence. I can't dress that way in his presence. I can't act that way in his presence. I can't have, put that stuff in my heart when I'm coming into his presence. But Isaiah, the Bible says, when he came into the presence of God, his first reaction is, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But you know what? God didn't leave him there, did he? Bible says he told one of those angels, they paused out, they took a time out from singing holy, 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 and one of the angels went over there, and they, with a pair of tongs, they picked up an ember off of the, the, the fire in heaven, and the Bible says that they put it to his lips, and God began to purify him, and he purified his lips, Then he gave us the famous statement, here am I, I will go. How could that happen? Why? Because, because somebody had realized that they were so unholy and they were unrighteousness and then God began to use him to bring a whole nation back to him. But it wasn't until he realized I'm not holy and I need to be purified by God. Maybe you're here tonight and God's already, and I don't have to even say your specific sin. I believe God of heaven has already put his finger on the sin in your life that's preventing you from revival. For some, it's, it's maybe what you've been watching. For some, it's maybe that magazine that's here or that internet site. For some, it's rebellion. For some, it's anger. For some, it's bitterness. For some, it's just having, it's just, you're, you're just complacent in your Christian life and you no longer have a thirst and a hunger for him anymore. And maybe it's complacency, but I'm going to tell you tonight, if we're going to see revival, we have to allow him to touch any and every part of our lives. My prayer has been for many years, God, I don't want there to be an area of my life that you cannot touch. Many of us, we say, God, you can sit in that chair and you can sit in that chair and you can sit in that chair, but please, you can't sit in that one. And can I tell you this? The Lord, the Bible, he, he's not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to appear. That's why God, God, God's not a Calvinist. He doesn't force himself on anybody. But he says, if you will and you want him, whosoever will may come, whosoever will let him drink of the tree of life, let him eat the tree of life freely, whosoever will shall be saved, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God's just waiting for some people that say, man, we're unclean, but we know where to get clean. I remember the story of Dr., uh, I believe it was, I was going to say R.A. Torrey, but I believe it was uh, W.A. Criswell, and W.A. As a matter of fact, it was George Truett who pastored before W.A. Criswell in First Baptist Dallas. And at the time, it was the largest church in America. And Dr. Dr. Truett, one day they gave him, a lady came down, he had an early service, and a lady came down in a nursing outfit, and she said, Dr. Truett, she said, I won't be in the second service this morning. I wanted to come early. And she said, I'm going to visit the dirtiest woman in Dallas. And she said, I take care of this woman. And and she's the dirtiest woman in Dallas. She, she was an old prostitute and sold her body for years, but now her body's broken down and she's diseased. And she said, Dr. Truett, I'm taking my radio with me. And she said, she's going to listen to you as you preach this morning. He said, what are you preaching about? 
Dr. Truett said, oh, he said, I'm preaching on Isaiah chapter six and verse eight. Come now to let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And she said, Dr. Truett, she'll be listening. And the call came after church that day, that afternoon, and a wire came across and it said, Dr. Truett. And she said, she's dirty, but she's thirsty. And Dr. Truett said to his assistant pastors, he said, I believe I'm going to visit this woman this afternoon. And he knocked on that door of that old dilapidated house and that lady said, come on in. And he came into that house, that nasty house, cobwebs everywhere, dirty house. And there was a woman, an old dilapidated woman sitting down on, that, on, on her bed there in the old dust, dusty, dirty, nasty sheets. And she said, may I help you, sir? And she said, ma'am. He said, ma'am, I'm Dr. Truitt, Dr. George Truitt. I'd like to tell you how to be saved. And she said, oh, no. She pulled the covers back and she said, and he went to shake her hand. She said, I can't touch you. She said, you're a holy man of God and I, I can't touch you. Dr. Truett said he didn't know what to do, and so he fell on his knees, and he began to pray, and he said, oh, God, would you save this woman? Oh, God, would you show her that she's a sinner? Would you show her that she needs to be born again by your grace? Would you help her to trust the Lord Jesus Christ? He said after a couple minutes, he felt a tap on his shoulder, and it was that woman, and she said, Dr. Truett, I'll shake your hand now. And he said, why can you shake my hand now? He said, the door is still dirty. Your seats are still dirty. Your hair is still dirty, oily and nasty. And he said, everything about this place is still dirty. What do you mean? You can, you, he said, yes. She said, the place is still dirty, but I just got clean. And let me tell you, there's a God in heaven that will purify you. He'll clean you. He'll raise you up again to serve him again. And he'll make you into the image of his precious son. But there's got to be holiness, I believe, According to verse 19, the Bible says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. See, I don't mind too much that honesty. I don't mind too much sometimes even hungering after the things of God. I don't mind even, even to the point of holiness. But sometimes before God sends revival, there's going to be some harm and some hurt. And I believe God doesn't do this every time he sends revival. But I believe if the people will not be honest and they will not be hungry and they will not be holy, I believe that the God of heaven will have to bring down some hurt and harm on his people. And reread the story, you can look at the nation of Israel time and time again as the cycle was of revival and apostasy and revival and apostasy and revival and apostasy and revival and backsliddenness and revival and hatred. A good king would rise up and then all of a sudden a wicked king would rise up and, and time and time and time again he had to rebuke his people. I believe one of the things about the United States of America right now, I believe God has judged us with some of the leadership that we have. And I don't believe many of our nations are waiting for judgment. I believe right now we are living under the judgment of Almighty God. You look at the history of revival in the world today, revival generally does not happen in an open and free society. And I'm not trying to be negative, and I would rather live in peace, and I would rather have great things going on, but I'm going to tell you, the greatest revivals this world has ever seen is when God has had to get his people's attention and send some hurt into their lives. God said, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar to judge Israel. 
I'm going to lose the Babylonian Empire. I'm going to use the Assyrian Empire. I'm going to use the Pharaohs to judge his people. I'm going to use the Jebusites and Ammonites and the, and the Amalekites and the Moabites and all the other bites. Amen. I'm going to use them all to judge my people. Why? And it's not to destroy us. The Bible says it's to bring us back to him in the fellowship. God never brings a hurt and a harm into your life. God never chastises you just like a good parent that has to discipline you. God does not chastise us to draw us away from him. God chastises us so he can draw us close and restore the relationship that's been harmed. But sometimes we've got to get some rebuking. And sometimes we've got to be scourged. And can I tell you tonight, I said it earlier, but if God has scourged you, if God has rebuked your heart, let me tell you, you ought to be thankful and grateful that he's still willing to work on you. You know, they say, they say, they say not to be worried if a woman argues with you. Be worried when she stops arguing with you. And I told my wife the other day, speaking of arguing, my wife the other day, she said, I was looking at a statistic online and it said that women on average, men on average speak 7,000 words a day. Women, on average, speak 14,000 words a day. I went to my wife. I said, honey, I said, why do you think women have to talk twice as much as men? And she said, well, it's because we have to repeat everything we say. <laughs> I looked at my wife and I said, what did you say? No. <laughs> but hey, it's, it's when God stops knocking on your door, that's when you ought to get worried. It's when God stops working on your heart. It's not the church services where the pastor is preaching and God is convicting you about something that you need to worry about. It's the ones that he doesn't say anything that you ought to be worried about because sometimes it takes a little bit of harm. But take a look at verse 19, the latter part. Here's the key to it all. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You see, if you'll get honest, if you'll get hungry, if you allow him to give you holiness, if you allow him to hurt sometimes, then I believe, number five, you'll get some heart. And I believe it's heartfelt repentance that is the key to revival. It is when God begins to change your heart that he will begin to change you from the inside out. I've talked to preachers all over this nation and even around the world. And many, of, many times in a, in a Christian ministry, it's easy to get caught up in some of the external things. And especially when you have a school, in a Christian school, because you have to have some regulations and you have to have some rules. And, and, and so there has to be some form of organization and some uniformity to us. But if we're not careful, many times, and we experience this in our school, if we're not careful, we're going to put some of the external things above the internal things. Now, I believe this. I believe when you let God deal with your heart, the external things will come along. And when I see somebody with men, they, they have a little bit of trouble on the outside. I, I, I don't, it, that's like if you've got cancer, and many of you are going through that and you're going through treatments right now. If you have cancer, they don't put lipstick on you to help the problem. They've got to get some internal medicine in, inside of you. They've got to get something that's going to help one of our precious church members. And he's going through his second or third round of chemotherapy. And God's used him to, to bless us and our quartet and everything. And, and he's a good man. But you've got to get inside there. You can't, listen, you, uh, lipstick and, and, and some exercise. Getting your hair cut won't help you with cancer. And neither will it help you on a cancerous heart. You have got to allow God 
to grant you godly sorrow that's going to work repentance in your life. It is until then that we cannot have revival until we're willing to say, God, work in me and through me any way that you want to this week. Let me ask you, when was the last time you took a step and changed something in your life that God challenged you about and you changed it? Many Christians that I know, they're still giving testimonies of 15 years ago when they did and they gave up and they came. But let me tell you, none of us are perfect here tonight. And if you don't believe me, and if you think you are, let me have a conversation with your wife (laughs) or your kids or your parents. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to figure out real quick that God needs to work on some things in our lives. Don't talk to my wife, though. And uh, she's got a whole book of things that she's written down (laughs) for people that ask. But I mean, really, when was the last time we repented of anything? You see... Brother Allen, I'm I'm struggling with my bitterness. Here's what you need. You need God to completely change your mind and attitude towards that bitterness. You know, when you'll get rid of the bitterness in your heart like I had to, I mentioned finding out about my dad, and I'm gonna tell you, it it, it created, even though I was was preaching at the time and I was serving the Lord as a teenager, I'm gonna tell you, there there was a root of bitterness that grew up in my heart. I began to be angry with my mother because of the lifestyle that she lived at that time. I began to be angry about the the drug use that she had and the alcohol abuse that she had and the, the immoral life that she had. And I was so angry about that. But I was so glad the Lord rebuked me in a message one day. I was in Texas at a youth conference and the Lord rebuked my heart and he said, You know, that root of bitterness is going to spring up and it's going to defile everybody in your life. It wasn't until I saw the bitterness as the enemy that I got rid of it. And this night, tonight, if you will see bitterness as the enemy that it is, listen, nobody in this, nobody in their right mind would invite an enemy of their family inside of their house. And let me tell you tonight, when you allow God to see sin and worldliness and complacency, if we will see it for what it is, God will begin to change your heart about it. I know many men, and we've dealt with folks that have struggled with pornography and looking at graphic images, and I'm going to tell you, when you see the pornography as the enemy of love, as the enemy of true love in your life, God will begin to take the grip of pornography off of your life, and you'll be able to have victory and live a victorious Christian life if you will see that as the enemy of your marriage. Children, if you will see rebellion as the enemy of the relationship with your parents, Well, you just don't know my parents. No, but God knows them, and he puts you in their house. And if you will see your rebellion as the enemy of your walk with him, man, I'm going to tell you, as a teenager, I struggled with this, and I struggled with authority, but it wasn't until I laid it down, and I said, man, you know what? Rebellion gets me nowhere. It actually makes your life harder. And when some of you realize and understand, some of you teenagers realize and understand the rebellion is doing nothing but making your heart, making your heart harder, your head harder, and sometimes your backside harder because you're getting punished for it. And when you see rebellion as the enemy, God will begin to change your thought processes and you will begin to lay it down at the altar and God will, man, we'll see a revival 
like you've never seen in your life. If you'll see gossip as the enemy, it'll change your tongue. People say all the time, well, I wouldn't have a drunk in my church. I'd rather have three drunks than a gossip in the church. I've never heard of a drunkard splitting a church, but nearly every church that's ever been split, there's a tongue at the end of the discussion. If you'll see gossip, here's what we think. If I roast a preacher, it'll make me look better. Won't work. Won't work. Well, the preacher, and people say to their kids, well, the preacher, he puts his pants on like I do. Yes, but I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter how he puts his pants on. The call of God is on him. God has ordained him for this ministry. And I'm going to tell you, it's doing nothing but hurting you. It's doing nothing but hurting your family. And if you don't see that as the enemy, because one of these days you're going to need the preacher to pray for your kids. I can't tell you how many parents I know that have had roast preacher in their lives. And all of a sudden, five years later, pastor, can you help my kid? No, I actually can't help your kid. Because instead of, instead of, listen, the preacher's not perfect, the school principal's not perfect, whoever they are, and uh, the leadership around here isn't perfect, the assistant pastor's not perfect, the youth director's not perfect. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you allow that to get inside of your heart, it is the enemy of your family. I can't tell you how many times we've tried to go back later and help that young person in their life, and they're like, no, no, son, listen to the preacher. Are you kidding me? You've been ripping him for the last 10 years. Why would I listen to him? Right. You need to see it for the enemy that it is and allow God to change your heart. That's what's got to happen. It's repentance. It is heartfelt repentance that will take place. No, I, I had a man tell me one time, and we were dealing with a situation with a staff member, and Pastor and I were in the office, and I called this man in the office because he was, he was, he was, he was being very, very critical, and he was hurting the ministry, he was hurting his own family. He was hurting the church. And here's what he said. I'll just, I'll, I just won't say anything. Won't work. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It talks about one time about overflowing from our, from our bellies. That word, it's literally like the word belch or burp. It's like when you drink a soda. Y'all call it soda? Pop? Coke? In Texas, everything's Coke. And uh, I wanna, I, What kind of Coke do you want? I, wanna, I don't want a Coke. I want a 7-Up. No, that's a Coke. And uh, what in the world? But it's that idea of whatever's in here, you eat enough of something, onions or whatever, it's coming up here. What you need is not a tongue transplant, you need a heart transplant. And until God does deep down, it's not your tongue that's the problem, unless you have halitosis. And uh, it's not your tongue that's the problem. It's not your fingers typing in website pages. It's not your lips it's not your body. It is inside of your heart. And until God is able to give you and able to allow you and, and, and you allow him to change your heart, you'll never see the revival that you could see. Here's what I want to see. I want to see God this week do a work in your heart that's eternal. And I want to see God begin to change your heart. See, that word repentance will end with this. That word repent is like a court case. No, the Bible says if we, all, if we do not repent, we cannot be saved. And the preacher mentioned it, whatever we're trusting in. But here's what repent is. 
I'm wrong and God's right. I'm wrong and God is right. My way of salvation is wrong. My way of living is wrong. I mean, I need God. But the word repent, it's like, it's like a legal term. It's like a court case. You ever watch, and I don't know if you have it on here, but I like to watch court cases. And I was fat. I was almost, I really wanted to become a lawyer when I was younger. And you, all of a sudden you thought that person was innocent. And then they come out with that, you know, the smoking gun. They're guilty. Or you thought somebody, man, he's guilty. I mean, he's, I mean, they got him dead to rights. He, he is guilty. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh man, you know what that is? That's repentance. That's, man, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm okay. I don't, I don't see it's that bad. But the God of heaven puts his finger on something in your life. And what will bring you revival is you saying, you're right, and I'm wrong. You're good, I'm not good. I'm unfaithful, you're faithful. I'm unholy, you're holy. I'm unrighteous, you are righteous, and I want you to have your will and way in my life. Would you this week, these few days, and listen, God's already met with us here tonight. We've already sensed his presence, but I'm gonna tell you how you can daily live in the presence of God. Be honest, be hungry, be holy, let him hurt you if he needs to, and then let there be heartfelt repentance. Father, we, we thank you that we sensed your presence here earlier. Father, what a simple, simple truth out of the word of God here in Revelation chapter three. You had a message for a dark day for us, oh God. We thank you and we praise you, God, that you touched us already here tonight. Lord, you've spoken to us through song, you've spoken to us through testimonies, And how I love it when your people get together and start to brag on you how great you really are. But God, I believe we can experience something like this every morning when we meet with you. And every day, if we'll just simply let you work on us and have your will and way. With our heads bowed and eyes closed here tonight, I wonder if there'd be any here that say, Brother Allen, I've never received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've never been born again by the grace of God. Maybe you're like the preacher's wife. And some of you, and I told that we had that discussion this afternoon, her and I, and I said, what the devil does is he tries to convince people that, well, if you get saved, you'll be embarrassed and people will think, no, we will rejoice with you. We will shout, we will shout amen. We will rejoice. God will get glory. You may actually get somebody else that says, you know what, I've been dealing with that too and I'd like to be saved finally. I'm done with doubting. I'm done with dealing with that. Our pastor's son was 16, 15 or 16. He, he was at a football camp and he went into, the, went into a porta potty, porta john, and he said, I'm done dealing. I got to get saved now. And he said, well, what do they think of me? It doesn't matter what they think of you. It's what God knows of you. If you say, Brother Allen, that's me. I'd like you to pray for me tonight that I can receive Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that? Here's my hand, Brother Allen. If you will not be honest, you cannot get help. Is there anyone like that tonight with a raised hand? Say, please pray for me. I want to get that settled here tonight. Maybe you've been here for a week. Maybe you've been here for all of your life. But here's my hand. I need to deal with this finally. I need to deal with it. God's convicted me. I need to deal with it. Anybody like that? Here's my hand, Brother Allen. Slip it up nice and high so we can pray for you that you'll receive Christ.
Hey, by your admission, everyone in this room, everyone in this room is a saved Christian. I'm not going to tell you you're saved. The Holy Spirit ought to tell you that. But by your admission, maybe there's some areas that God touched in your heart tonight. I pray that you'll do business with him. I pray that you wouldn't say no. Don't say no to him. He's working on you. Maybe it's to make you holier. Maybe it's to pluck some things out of your life or to put some things in. Maybe it's some of you, God's been slapping you upside the head about that thing for weeks and months. And even as you've been praying for this revival, God's saying, what do you want revival for if you won't let me deal with that in your life? Say, why do you start off with this? Because there's some better things coming down the road, man, that'll help you with this revival. But if you don't deal with this and our sin and all that, you, we can't even get past that. We've got to get past this stuff first. And then let them, let them change you, preacher. Preacher.